So Mark chapter 13, verses 28 through 37, the second coming of Jesus. I, I have to review a little bit of last week, what we talked about last week, the first half of this chapter, uh, which is where Jesus taught us about the end of the age and what uh, to expect. And he broke it up like this. Uh, the first thing that he talked about was that there would be um, some signs that you were in that last uh, time of the of Earth's history or the last seven years before he comes. And these signs would correlate to the first uh, four seals of the book of Revelation. We saw how they, they went one for one with the beginning of the tribulation, or you could even say the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, we saw that the Antichrist would be revealed. There would be war, famine, and death. And these are not normal things that the world sees every day, uh, but these were very specific uh, things that would be happening um, uh, in the world at that time, kind of general, um, generally specific, you could say, uh, signs that happen uh, that show us that we were in that last time. The second thing that Jesus taught us was that as believers, we need to be, we need to be focused on the task at hand up until the end. And what that meant is that we need to be looking for persecution, expecting persecution, expecting things to not be good. Uh, but those were not signs of the end. Uh, they were just what our life would look like until the end. And also to expect spirit-led ministry and to, to be trusting the Holy Spirit all the way. So we would be having rough times and we'd be having to listen to the Holy Spirit and trust the Holy Spirit to do all the ministry of the church. And I believe that's the, the time that we're living in right now. We need to expect persecution. We need to not be angry about it or mad that it's happening or angry at the people that are persecuting us. But we need to love them. We need to lay our lives down and completely sacrifice uh, for the sake of Christ all of our rights for the people in this world, even the ones that are um, persecuting us. And do that by the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. And all that can only be done as we abide in Christ, stay connected with him, stay close to him. And uh, that is, uh, that, that's what the second little section last week was about. And then thirdly, Jesus tells us about a very specific sign called the abomination of desolation. And this was a sign that, that, that nobody will be able to miss. Uh, the Antichrist will go into the temple that is in Jerusalem and he will demand to be worshipped as God. And Jesus tells us that three and a half years later, uh, he will return with great power and glory. So right in the middle of the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist goes right into the temple, demands to be worshipped as God. And Jesus says that is a very specific sign with a very important timing uh, connected to it. And exactly three and a half years later, we're going to talk a lot about that today. But today we're going to talk, uh, we're going to see that Jesus is going to give us two parables that are going to teach us two lessons that are very important. The parable of the fig tree and the parable of the doorkeeper. I'm calling it the, the parable of the doorkeeper. The fig tree is going to teach us uh, to choose the right team while there's still a chance. I, I think that's the main lesson that we can draw from it. And there's some other things that are important to understand, some details that we'll get into. But the main lesson of the fig tree is to choose Jesus now uh, while you still have a chance. And the parable of the doorkeeper is the second parable we'll look at. And it's going to teach us how to live once we have chosen the right team. 
how we are supposed to live once we have chosen to follow Jesus? And the answer to that is going to be by watching and prayer, by abiding in his grace. That is how we are going to live. And that parable is going to give us some really big insights to that. So let's go ahead and dive in to our text today. Mark chapter 13, verse 28. And it says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. There's the parable, short and sweet. He says, when a branch has become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, this isn't all trees. Uh, there, there was many, many trees in Israel during this time that had no difference between summer and winter. He doesn't say an evergreen tree. This is a deciduous tree that had a very specific time that it would put forth um, or become tender and put forth leaves. So there's a specific tree. Uh, so he goes on. He says, so you also... When you see these things happening, what's, what are these things? These are all the stuff that he's talked about so far in this chapter, which are the end of the age things. These are the, past, the last seven years of human history things, the things of the book of Revelation, as we'll see, the things of, of uh, the Antichrist, the war, the famine, and then specifically the abomination of desolation. When you see all these things happen, know that it is near at the doors, Jesus says. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. That last little phrase, Jesus says, my word is the word of God. It can't, I'm, I'm not making a mistake. I can't make a mistake. I'm God. It puts, he puts his own words on equal footing with the word of God. So this parable of the fig tree says that there are signs that would tell you that this event is very, very close. What event? Well, the event that he's talking about is his second coming, when he will show up, uh, reveal, come in great power and glory out of heaven with his saints with him. We'll talk about that in a minute. And, uh, and he will come to take over control of this world. He's going to come fix everything. That's, that's the thing. You know, how many times have we prayed, Jesus, would you just come and, and fix everything? Well, he is. That's exactly what he's going to do. But that, you see, that's not good news for a world, a generation that is rejecting him. That's actually bad news because that generation is the problem. A lot of times we are the problem that needs to be fixed. And Jesus is going to come fix this for all those um, who are wondering so there's, he says that there's these signs and like a fig tree putting forth its fruit, these signs are, um, are important for us to recognize. And it's like this, you know, when football season starts, I know that Christmas is coming, you know, and, and I would only know that by experience or if I knew the timetable, or if I had a calendar in front of me, but I know that when, when football season starts, I can start really getting excited about Christmas, as opposed to BK, who is excited about Christmas 364 days a year, and celebrating Christmas on that other day. Um, but I think I should wait until probably about football starts. Um, and another sign, okay, so when Christmas ads start coming out on TV, okay, I know 
that Thanksgiving is coming, right? Because a lot of times you have these Christmas ads that, that come well before Thanksgiving. Now, I love Thanksgiving. I love eating the food, spending time with family. And I know that that wonderful event is coming before Christmas is coming. So the signs that Christmas is coming are telling me that the event that comes before it is also coming. And that's going to be something that we're going to talk about because that's how it works with the rapture. You see, the second coming, there are signs of the second coming, but there are no signs of the rapture. But the rapture happens seven years before the second coming. And we'll talk about why we can know that for sure, for certain. Um, Jesus says that when you see these these general signs of the Antichrist coming and the war and the famine and the death. And then you see that specific sign of the Antichrist coming into the temple and committing an abomination of desolation. You know that his second coming is very near at the door. In fact, we have not only just near information, we have specific day given to us many times in scripture. This is very important for us to understand so again, the main point of this parable is that we choose the right team while there's a chance. Jesus is saying, if you see these things happening, it is, it is right around the corner. You do not have time to mess around. You need to get right with God. Now, if you see all these end time signs happening, you better get right with God immediately. But seriously, why wait? Why wait? Get right with God right now. If you've been messing around with God and if you've been doing your own thing and you know that you are not putting your trust in Jesus, repent now. Confess your sin to God. Confess it to Jesus and beg him for mercy and he will grant it. You know, you, he has grace by the blood of Jesus. He is, it is available to you and to me today. And he will save all that call upon him. That's what happens in this time that we live in called the age of grace. He will, he will save you. All we have to do is call upon him in humility and faith, and he will do all the saving. We can be right. You can be right with God now by calling upon him. But this parable says, don't wait. You know, don't, you don't want to be, you know, caught in a position where Jesus is coming back and you are his enemy because his enemies don't survive this second coming event. There is no survivors. There is no time to say, whoops, wrong side, I repent now. No, it doesn't happen that way. There is no second chances. This life now is our chance. And he says, choose me today. Now, specifically, one other thing in this parable that we need to talk about. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. All right, so there we have some really specific information, or, or do we? Okay, this is a very important verse. And so we have to ask the question, what is a generation? And when Jesus mentions a generation, what is he talking about? And this is actually a big debate. And I found myself on both sides of this debate, uh, choosing different sides at different times in my life, is this talking about a specific group or is this talking about a description of what kind of people will see this happen? And the debate, if you're a theologian, the debate is, is, is this word generation a quantitative word or a qualitative word? 
And, uh, and what that means is, is this talking about a specific group of people, quantitative, or is this talking about the kind of people that will be around when this event takes place? And that's qualitative. Well, as always, I believe the best way to decide whether it's quantitative or qualitative is to look at context. Okay. And, and here we go. Every single use, every, and I'm not exaggerating, every single use of the word generation in the book of Mark is used qualitatively. That means he's describing the kind of people that reject God. And it's always a negative thing. Okay. When he says this generation, he's always talking about something that is bad, a bad group of people, a bad kind of people. Not just group of people, not a number of people, but a kind of people who are rejecting God and God's ways. He, he mentioned several times the generation he was living in was a, a, a kind of people that were not accepting of him. It's a, a general um, word that means the kind of people around during this time are constantly rejecting him. So I believe the context when Jesus says generation here, he's meaning the exact same thing. In fact, he says this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place, which means the generation is going to pass away, but it's just not until all these other things happen. So there's a time frame connected with their destruction, this generation's destruction. So this generation here is not about a a lot of people good mixed with bad. He is specifically only talking about the bad people, the bad kind of people that are rejecting him in the end times. Now you might be like, well, why is that important? Well, it is important for several reasons I'll get into in just a second. Jesus is saying that the wicked generation that sees all these signs happen, okay, that he's talked about in this chapter, is going to be wiped away quickly. Okay, it's going gonna, it's gonna to just... It's not about numbering people or labeling a range of ages or years. It's this Christ-rejecting world that's going to exist in the end times is going to come to an end. It's going to be washed away like a flood, like in the flood that happened. The flood happened in a moment. I mean, they were partying and then it started raining and then all of a sudden they're all dead. Okay. And that's how his second coming is going to happen. It, it's not going to get better for this generation. There won't be a big revival when Jesus comes back the second time. They will be wiped out. They will pass away. And that is going to happen at the end of the seven-year time of tribulation. There is no other end or possibility. It, this has been prophesied by Jesus and many others. And so our text again says this. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happen, know that it is near at the doors. So that is all said before our talk about the generation. So the generation, again, is the wicked people that are around the Christ-rejecting world that is around at his second coming. So he says, uh, so I believe we need to be consistent when we're looking at our interpretation of this parable and what Jesus is saying. So what does the fig tree represent? We already know the lesson of the parable. Okay. The lesson of the parable is that the end will come uh, when all these signs appear. So choose your team wisely now. Choose it. Right. 
But is there anything else that we can learn from this parable? And I believe that there is by context, again, by context of what Jesus, how Jesus has used these words before. And if we, if you recall back in chapter 11 of Mark, when we were studying that, Jesus also had a, had an interaction with a fig tree. And in that interaction, he spoke about this fig tree and it was clearly a reference to the fruitless and faithless nation of Israel. Okay. His, his world that he lived in, that nation of Israel was a Christ rejecting nation. Okay. They crucified him. Okay. Everybody stood by while he was crucified. And, um, and so we know that in Mark chapter 11, he was speaking about Israel. And here, when he brings up the fig tree, I believe again, he is speaking about Israel. Now, again, the word generation is disconnected from this reference. It's about uh, the signs and everything else. And he's talking about something else. So we're not talking about a time frame here. But the word fig tree, I do believe, is connected with the nation of Israel. You see, in the Old Testament, why do I believe that? Okay, in the Old Testament, uh, there was many parables about fig trees. Okay, and it was consistently a reference to the nation of Israel. In Jeremiah chapter twenty-three and twenty-four, God likens the nation of Israel to a fig, to a basket of rotten figs from a fig tree. And they were so rotten, they had no value, and they were thrown away and destroyed in chapter 24 of Jeremiah. In Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, God makes, again, Hosea 9, verse 10, God again makes a reference to the nation of Israel as a fig tree when he says, I saw your fathers and uh, the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time. And in Joel chapter 1, uh, God cries out against the destructions that have take place, taken place in his nation. He says this, um, he has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. So what does this mean, right? So he's constantly mentioning this fig tree. It's always about his nation of Israel. What does that mean? I believe that Jesus is framing all of his dis his entire discussion about his second coming around the nation of Israel, uh, that they would be directly involved in these signs. And we know that is true uh, because of Daniel, the book of Daniel, uh, a lot of parts we're going to look at, and the uh, book of Revelation chapter 6 through 19. In the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19, you have the description of the seven years that Jesus is referencing here. And the church is never seen in that um, text. It is always the nation of Israel that is in view in that point. And we understand why as we study the book of Daniel, because it says there's seven years left where God is going to be dealing only with the nation of Israel. The time of the church comes to an end at the rapture. And then this last seven years, God deals with the nation of Israel, which is the same as the seven-year tribulation. So this parable does not give us a direct timetable for his second coming. I believe in the past, I've thought that it was like, okay, when, when the nation of Israel becomes a nation, then you have a, a generation. But again, I do not believe that it's speaking uh, about a specific group of people, but the entire world at the time. So I'm not going to say that the generation is referring to Israel, because I don't believe that it is. But it's the entire unbelieving world that would be wiped away 
at the end of his second coming, whereas Israel will actually be saved at the end of his coming. These are two different groups that are being mentioned here. But Israel didn't exist as a nation until 1948. Okay, that is a truth that we have uh, in this world. And, and before that happened, there were many, many Bible commentators that said Israel would become a nation again. And there were many that said, they won't become a nation again. And so all this has to mean something else because there's no way, barring an absolute miracle of God, that a nation could come back to be a nation again after 2,000 years of not being a nation. But that's exactly what happened with the nation of Israel. They were, a na they were scattered in 70 AD when the Roman Emperor Titus came in and destroyed Jerusalem. They were scattered around the whole world and they lived as refugees and, and vagabonds around the whole world until after World War II, God, by miraculous events, called them back into their land and they have existed now. Uh, since then, there has been a nation of Israel that even has been, I believe, supernaturally protected through times of war and, and attacks that, that have happened in their nation. So... This was, you know, a big issue that shows us that God truly knows what the future holds. He knew that Israel would come back and become a nation again, and he still loves those people, even though they have rejected him at this point. And that he is going to keep his promises he made to the nation of Israel as a whole. I believe that. Uh, they truly are the focus of his plans during that seven-year history before his second coming that we're going to see. And all... Um, that we see in history and the rebirth of, of the nation of Israel is setting the stage for his second coming. You know, they have been reborn. And if they are this fig tree, this fig tree has become soft and is putting forth um, leaves, signs of life, you could say. There's been a nationalistic move in Israel to come back to the nation of Israel, people coming back. And I think these are these. this is what he's talking about. This is, this is a reference that Jesus is making to the nation of Israel becoming a nation again. And so this is, these are not, um, this fig tree fruit is not showing uh, fruits of the spirit. That's not what we're talking about. This is the national life of the nation of Israel. Um, but I believe it shows us that we are nearing the times of the end. I do believe that because they have to become a nation again before all the things told to us in the book of Revelation can happen. One other thing we need to see is the temple rebuilt. And that's going to be something that we may see, or it may happen after the rapture and during the first part of the tribulation. I don't know, but that is something that also will happen during this time. So now we're going to move to the next parable. And the next parable, I believe, is about the rapture. And that's, that's interesting because the rapture comes before the second coming. So why would Jesus uh, talk about the second coming first and then the rapture? Well, um, again, like when I see ads for Christmas coming out and the Christmas ads coming out uh, for the, the department stores and stuff, I know that Thanksgiving is coming because there's something that comes before Christmas, always at a, the exact same interval. Um, I know, I believe that, that Jesus is telling us about his second coming and now also about the rapture because it is connected with his second coming. In fact, it is part of his second coming. It's just a part of his second coming that is seven years prior to the second coming. That's right. I believe the rapture is actually part of the second coming. Um, 
Another illustration that I could use to describe this is the chain gang in football, okay? So you have the first down marker, and let's say that's the second coming. And let's say we're, you know, 25 yards away from that. But I know that, that when I see that, that goal, that that's my goal. I have four downs to make it to that goal. But I also know that before that goal, 10 yards before that goal is another goal that's not talked about as much, but it is there just, and it's always the exact same distance away. It's 10 yards away. And so the second coming is the goal that we know the day and the time for the day actually, actually, but seven years before that, the rapture is always at this same distance away. And so we know that the first thing that's going to happen is going to be the rapture then all these signs and then the, the, uh, the signs that Jesus just mentioned, then in the middle of that seven years, the Antichrist comes and does the abomination of desolation. Then three and a half years after that, he comes back. Okay. How do I know all that? Okay. Because this parable is going to help us understand the timing of the rapture. Now, uh, so it says here, even though the rapture comes seven years before. So this event of the rapture, uh, commences the final events of history as we know it. It's kind of a kickoff to the last seven years. It ends the age of the church and kicks off the last seven years of God's plan for the nation of Israel on this world. So let's read our text. Mark uh, 13, we'll, we'll do verse 32 is where we start now. But of that day and hour, no one knows, even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. So take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Okay, well, that's very different information than everything we've gotten so far about the second coming. Uh, he's very clear here that no one knows the day. So this parable cannot be referring to the second coming, but it must be referring to the rapture. Why? Because we know the day of the second coming. Um, it's 1260 days or exactly 3.5 years after the specific event Jesus mentioned called the abomination of desolations, uh, which will also be that event is also three and a half years or 1260 days after the Antichrist is revealed to the world. And the Antichrist cannot be revealed to the world until the Holy Spirit is taken out of the world and the Holy Spirit lives in us. So we as believers must be also taken out of the world because God is not going to take the Holy Spirit from us, his beloved children. Okay, so the rapture must happen before the Antichrist is revealed. The Antichrist must be revealed before the abomination of desolations can happen. The abomination of desolation must happen before Jesus comes back. This is all clearly ordered for us by Jesus himself. So let me give you the text that helps us understand that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. He says, and now you know what is restraining. So something is restraining. That he may be revealed in his own time. Who's the he there? It's the Antichrist. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So Jesus says there's, there's bad stuff going on in the world right now. It's happening. Only he, and look in your Bible, that's capitalized, who restrains will do so until he, again capitalized, meaning this is God, is taken out of the way. So what 
God is here on the earth right now, the Holy Spirit, and he lives where? In us. And so, and then he says, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So we know this is not an issue about 70 AD and what happened in the past, because uh, Jesus didn't come back. This is clearly about his coming and the brightness and the glory and every eye shall see and every knee will bow. And his, he will literally destroy the Antichrist at his second coming with uh, fire from his mouth, the breath from his mouth. And we see that described for us in chapter 19 of Revelation. So we have this proof of a seven-year timeline, okay? And, we, and, and this is all showing us that we know the day of the second coming. So this parable that Jesus is telling us right now is not about the second coming, but it's about the rapture. I'm going to read to you four verses, five verses, maybe six about, uh, and I'm just going to blast through them, they're, they're the time frames the Bible gives us about these seven years. And this is why we know and we can be confident the Bible is not, these seven years are not just made up and they're not, you know, it's not that they could just mean anything. You, if the Bible says something, that's what it means. And I'm a literalist and I believe that these literally are what they're talking about. But look at how clear the Bible is when it's talking about this period of time known as the tribulation. Daniel chapter 9 verse 27. He shall, this is the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, and that is a period of seven years in this context. But in the middle of that week, three and a half years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Where does that happen? In the temple, which is not built yet, but it will be. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even till the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So again, we have a mention of the second coming and the end that will happen at the second coming. This last week is the last week of the tribulation. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. Daniel 7, verse 25. Again, speaking of the Antichrist, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints will be given into his hand for time times and half a time. The word time there is a reference to a year. So time times is two years and half a time, three and a half years, again, equals the exact middle of the tribulation. So he's saying here from the moment that he uh, seeks to change the laws and the times for three and a half years, he will persecute anyone who wants to follow Jesus. In Daniel chapter eight, verse 14, and he said to me, for 2,300 days. Oh, there's another amount of days. Well, guess what? Divide 2,300 by 360, which is the year in the lunar calendar that we're working with here, and it makes exactly seven years. For 2,300 days, the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Okay, another reference to exactly seven years. And he's given it to us in days so that there can be no confusion. Okay, Revelation chapter 11, verse 2. We're going now to the book of Revelation to see how these things line up together with the book of Daniel. He says, but leave out the court in Revelation 11 2, which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. How about that? Another reference to our 70, uh, to our seven years and the half time of three and a half years. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 6, 
Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has been placed, where a place was prepared by God that they should feed her 1,260 days. Guess what? Another 1,260 days, which is exactly three and a half years. And we already know the Antichrist is going to be persecuting Israel for the last three and a half years of the tribulation. So here it is again given to us. What is going to end that persecution? Only Jesus coming back himself in glory and destroying the Antichrist. That is going to be the event that ends this 1,260 days. And then in Revelation 13, 5, he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Again, how many different ways does Jesus have to say it for us to understand that this is truly seven years, the last three and a half, which are very, very, very clear. And we know the exact day that he will be coming back. We know it by month. We know it by year. We know it by day. We know it. It's the, the first down marker. We know exactly when it is. So our text that we just read, that we're in in Mark, says we can't know the day that this comes. So what day is he talking about? It's the rapture of the church. So what are we supposed to do with this information that we can't know when the rapture is coming, that it is imminent? We are supposed to take heed, watch, and pray. That's what Jesus just said. And to that end, Jesus gives us this parable. So look at what he says. It is like a man going to a far country who has left his house and gave authority to his servants to each and to each his work and commanded that the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So the lesson here is to watch. Well, how do we do that? And so this is our personal application of this Bible study today. This is for you, and this is very important. And if you haven't heard anything I've said so far, or if it's all just been super confusing, just forget it. It's not that big a deal. But this part here is a huge deal. How do we watch? How do we do this? How do we how do we do what Jesus is asking us to do until he comes back? Abide in his grace is the answer. We must abide in his grace. How do we do that? With humility and faith. Be developing these attitudes of humility and faith. Walking with Jesus with humility. Trusting him with faith. And every day it's going to be hard, but we must do that. That is how we watch and wait. How do you know? What are you talking about? Well, Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 gives us this very clearly. Teaches us how to do this. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Let me read it to you. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for, look, looking, looking, watching for, the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul teaches Titus exactly how this works. You must believe that Jesus could come at any moment. So that's what Jesus is saying here. This doctrine of imminency is very important, that, that the rapture could happen at any time. See, if the rapture happens at the same time as the second coming, it makes no sense at all, because I know when that is, and I, there's all these signs for the second coming, and there's no signs for the rapture, and the rapture is a different event. 
The rapture can happen at any moment. The abomination of desolation can't. You know, the, the Antichrist has to be revealed to the world before the abomination of desolations can happen. And that hasn't happened yet. You know, some people say that because Trump just brokered this peace deal between the United Arab Emirates and Israel this week, that he's the Antichrist. Um, and that, let me just tell you that that's not how scripture should be interpreted. Um, so the second coming uh, can't happen yet because all these signs have not happened yet. The abomination of desolations must come exactly three and a half years before. So I know we've gone a long uh, bit today and, and it's been very deep, but I want to just share with you some, um, some proofs and some reasons why we know that the second coming of Jesus is not the same as the rapture, that they are separated by seven years. And, um, so I have this, let's see, I'm going to show you my notes here. So if you, well, okay. So here, look at that. That is a simple, a simple image of the return of Christ. Okay. So it's a seven year return and we have for his saints over here and with his saints over here. Sorry. And, uh, and so these are the two different events that we have and that this um, chapter describes for us. And I want to help you understand just how different these two events are. Both of them are part of the return of Christ, they, but they are extremely different. And all you have to do to realize how different they are is ask questions and look at the answers. Okay. So just as we discussed, they're, they're separated by seven years. Okay. So, um, the first one he returns for his saints and the second time he returns with his saints. Okay. We call these, you know, the rapture and the second coming generally. Um, so the first question we ask is what is the relationship to the saints? And in the first, in the first event, the rapture, Christ comes for his bride, the church. In the second event, Christ will come with his bride, the church. And I had some really good questions about this a couple weeks ago from a friend that I'm going to uh, mention right now. Uh, the book of Revelation says that he comes with the armies of heaven when he, when he uh, returns. And so that's a, a scripture that we look at and say, look, there we are. But the question to me was, well, how do you know that's, that's us? Okay. And so I did some research the last couple of weeks and I did find the answers to that. So in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, it says, uh, that these will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Okay. Angels are not chosen and faithful in this description. Also in Jude chapter, well, there's only one chapter, but verse 14, the, it says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints. And that's a description and a prophecy of this second coming with 10,000s of his saints, which prove that we are there with him. The church is a great army that is coming with him. So our next question is, how is Jesus portrayed during these two events? And the first one is a bridegroom. He comes back as a bridegroom during the uh, rapture. And in the second coming, he comes back as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's a, uh, the first one is a marriage ceremony. The second one is a coronation of a king. Another one is why does Christ return? 
uh, in the rapture, it's to deliver his saints. And in the second coming, it's to judge and make war against sinners. Who is removed at his coming? In the rapture, believers are removed because they have this blessed hope. And in the second coming, unbelievers are removed and eliminated. They have no hope. Um, what is the relation to the millennial kingdom? The rapture has no direct connection with the millennium, but the second coming immediately precedes the millennium. We're seeing, what I'm just showing you is that there's vast differences between these two events. Um, uh, how can this event be predicted? Okay, well, the rapture cannot be predicted. It's unknowable. It's imminent. Uh, there's no specific time that we're given about it. The second coming can be predicted. It is knowable. We know exactly what it is. It's 2,520 days after the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel. It's 1,260 days after he breaks that peace treaty and covenant. Um, these things are just too specific to be looked past. How quickly will it occur? Well, the rapture happens, it says, in the twinkling of an eye, or the speed of light, or the atom is literally the word in Greek, whereas the second coming will be slow enough that it is visible to the naked eye. Many times it says that everyone will see and know that Jesus is coming, and they'll see his power and great glory. What are the signs of this event? Well, there are no signs given of the rapture. Anyone who ever tells you they know when the rapture is coming is full of horse pucky, and you need to tell them that. And, uh, but there are many signs and we just studied an entire chapter full of signs of the second coming. So we know that the rapture comes first, but we don't know when, just like those TV ads for Christmas tell me that the Thanksgiving is coming, but I don't know when, uh, in this context, it's going to happen. Um, where does Jesus come when he comes back? In the rapture, he comes only to the clouds. His feet do not touch the earth. Uh, in the second coming, he comes down and then his feet touch down on the Mount of Olives and it splits in two and a great uh, river starts flowing out two directions from the Mount of Olives, one to the east and one to the west. Very, very interesting and specific uh, information for us that we have about the second coming. Um, so... That's, that's um, basically, uh, there's a bunch more, and I did share a link of some study that you can put in, uh, so a, a good website that will help uh, really studying through the second coming if you want to get deeply into this. I imagine if you didn't want to get deeply into this, you probably wouldn't have listened today because uh, we got pretty deep into it today. And I'm sure there may be many questions, and I would welcome all of your questions. I may not have the answers, but... Uh, I do love talking about this. I'm a student of prophecy and I'm excited uh, that I believe we are living in these days and I hope that we are living watching and waiting for Jesus because he says, watch and wait. And we learned today that to do that, we need to trust in his grace, walk with him in humility, have an attitude of humility and faith, putting our hope in him daily, looking for his blessed appearing. So, that's our study, our time in the Word today. You guys are my family, and I love you, and I thank you so much for all your support for me as your pastor and friend, and I couldn't uh, get through life without you guys. You guys are uh, my dearest friends, and so I encourage you all, uh, I just thank you all for your love 
And uh, if there's anything we can do to encourage you or help you this week, please let us know. Um, let's pray. Jesus, I, I pray that we as a family would be looking for your return every day. I pray that we would be focused on the mission that you've given us, not focused on trying to discern the times. We already know that we will never know when the rapture will come. But we also know as of today, Lord, that, that we must be watching and praying and spending our lives for your kingdom while we still have time. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to be wise about our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys, and uh, we will talk to you soon.